Well, Chronicles is another story that we're going to read, another narrative we're going to read of this history from a spiritual point of view, and it talks about Saul, and Saul was killed. Now, this is fascinating. We're going to see how this works out between David and Saul. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are studying ancient history, and we're studying the history of Israel today. It's fascinating stuff. Helping us is Corey and Ryan. Corey? Well, we have a very interesting mention of a lion covered in our reading today, so I'm going to be taking a look at lions. Ryan? Today we're reading about the transition of leadership from King Saul to King David, and what's really fascinating is that many people from Saul's own tribe of Benjamin joined David. So today I'm going to be looking into the history of that amazing tribe of Israel. Excellent. Very good. 20 minutes time. Janice, 25. Go ahead. The Word of God. All right, there you go. Let's open up the Bible and discover what God has said to us right now. First Chronicles 10, 1 through 10. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died. So Saul and his three sons died, and all his house died together. And when all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that they had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their cities and fled. Then the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. We started a new book over the weekend. It is great if you're following in the Bible guide, First Chronicles chapter 10, 11, and 12, and 13. 10, 11, 12, and 13. Very, very interesting. This is kind of a review as well, but it's from a different point of view. And as it is today, there were many religions in the time of Saul, the first king of Israel. The first king, that's right. One of those religions was the worship of Dagon by the Philistines. Though this God shows up in our reading today, this is not the first time he has shown up in Scripture. Now, remember how the judge, Samson, tore down the temple to Dagon 
in Judges 16. And then later on, the Ark of the Covenant was captured and kept in the Temple of Dagon in 1 Samuel chapter 5. This was not Israel's first encounter with Dagon, but it would have seemed a temporary victory for this pagan god. Now, historians have noted that Dagon's has associations with water and grain, and his name in Hebrew has even prompted some to visualize him as a fish god. Others note that ancient Eurograt saw Dagon as the father of Baal. Other pagan gods are another pagan god, and that routinely this shows up in the Bible. In our reading, we will see that the death of Saul gives the Philistines a reason to worship Dagon with the body of their defeated enemy. Now, luckily, this is not the end of the story because we're going to see some very interesting things. Now, there's a spiritual battle here. And so, Father, I pray today that you would help us because there is a spiritual conflict whenever we deal with this in the Bible. I pray, Lord, that you would free the space between the Holy Spirit and us, that we would listen and hear the word of God carefully without anything hindering us. Make the pathways clear and keep us straight, Lord. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. Keep in mind that you can get your Bible guide if you go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and Click on the Bible guide. It takes you to a page for donations. Thank you so much for your donations. And it also, uh, you can call us or write to us either way. And your donations are very important right now. And Father, I pray for our partners that you would help them in this time. All of us, all of us, Lord, even myself, all of us, we're all struggling. So help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, let's look at this because this gets really important. First Chronicles chapter 10, what does it say? Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gelboa. And then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul, and the archers hit him. And he was wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his arm bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and abuse me. But his arm bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his arm bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died. What a devastating thing. Chronicles shows us that Saul was defeated and humiliated. Now, Chronicles, the word of God shows us this. You see, God does not call us to pride, but to repentance. That's very carefully thought through. God does not call us to pride, beloved, he calls us to repentance. Do you know what Paul said to Timothy? Run away from pride. Pride is not good for you. Let me tell you something. This is something we should all understand. We are not seeking for pride. Now, I'm talking about something different 
than how we think about ourselves. Because if we have Christ in our lives, Christ gave his life for each of us. He loves us so much and thinks we are so valuable. So how we think about ourselves, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we build ourselves up and we think we're great and all that stuff. We understand that we are not great, that we're sinners. And by understanding that God comes into our life and makes us who we should be. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we need to be. So beloved, let's keep that in mind. Now, here comes the next point. We need to continue reading. First Chronicles 10, 6 and 7, it says this. So Saul and his three sons died, and all his house died together. And when all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that they had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook their cities and fled. And then the Philistines came and dwelt in them. What? When the leadership breaks down, everything breaks down. Now listen carefully. When leadership breaks down, everything breaks down. Thank God that we now have Jesus Christ as leader. He's never break, broken down, never breaks down, and always is victorious. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus Christ introduced the word of the church in Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Not a pastor, not a bishop, not a pope. Not a... Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We need to keep that in mind. That's why you can have people from all over the world uh, in the church of Jesus Christ, and they love the Lord, and they seem to be unified somehow. Very interesting, isn't it? All right, let's read on because this gets good. First Chronicles 10, verse 8 says, So it happened the next day. When the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Galboa. And they stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head on the temple, or in the temple of Dagon. False religion is empowered when the people of God turn away from him. False religion is empowered when the people of God turn away from him. Our greatest strength comes when we recognize our weakness and, and instead rely on God. <laughs> This is so important for us today. I don't, I only have like 40 seconds, but let me just say that I, I could go on for an hour here. When we have failures in our systems, we need to understand those failures begin with the people. We need to get ourselves right with God. We need to say, Lord, forgive me. Join me, won't you? Father, forgive us. Our fathers have sinned. We have sinned. We have sinned. We're sinners, Lord. But you are not. Jesus Christ came and we killed him. And he rose from the dead as God. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that you would come and, and we repent. Change our hearts towards sin as individual people. People, one-on-one. -on -one. We repent, Lord. Help us today in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said together, amen. Make it so. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us 
When we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, we're reading about King David's men, his mighty men, and some of their exploits are given. A lot of it is just their names that are given, but every once in a while, there's a few sentences on some of the things that they were you know, famed to have done. And one of them, Benaiah, he is said to have killed a lion. Why would this be included in the scripture at all? I mean, it's a cool fact, but, but why? Why did it matter? Take a look. The lion was one of the main predators of ancient Israel and is mentioned often in the Bible. Today, the wild Asiatic lion is extinct in Israel, though a modern cousin lives in captivity thanks to conservation efforts. From references in the Bible, we know the lion once could be found throughout the land of Israel, regardless of topography. They were considered one of the animals that shepherds had to protect their herds and flocks from. Even David, before he was king, claimed to have defeated lions attacking his sheep. Lions are also said to have occasionally attacked humans. It's an interesting correlation that just as the role of shepherd was associated with kings, so was the lion. As shepherd of the people, it was the king's job to establish and maintain order and safety for his flock, protecting them from predators and dangers, and providing them with sustenance. On the surface, the mighty and terrifying lion also provides an apt symbol for the power, strength, and persistence of a good king. As king of the wild, the lion fears only man. As king of his nation, the ruler fears only God, or the gods, depending on his culture. The lion's association with kingship may reach even deeper, as expressed by Neo-Assyrian culture. Their empire was the one that destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and severely humbled southern Judah. On the walls of excavated Assyrian palaces are carvings that depict royal lion hunts, and explanations of these hunts seem to move them beyond sport and into ceremony. The Assyrian kings believed they had a mandate from the gods to bring nature or the wild under control, to civilize even the wildlife. The lion served as the symbol for all this untamed chaos. By successfully hunting a lion, likely as part of their coronation, Assyrian kings took the place of the lion as king of the untamed world. They would not only protect their citizens from the wild, but actively had power over it. The lion's kingly association is more ancient than the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Kingly lion hunting scenes survive from the third millennia BC kingdom of Uruk, as well as from Egypt, and lion imagery adorns a king's mace head from Kish. In the Bible, King Solomon's throne was reached by six stairs flanked by a total of 12 lion statues, perhaps symbolizing the mighty king-like power of the 12 tribes of Israel, ruled over by the ultimate king, himself. At least in that early time of kings, it was a mighty thing to kill a lion, as seen by David's claim to have defeated them, one of his mighty men claiming the same, and of course the famous story of the judge Samson killing a young aggressive lion with his bare hands. It's not known if Israelite kings ever participated in kingly lion hunts, 
But it is possible that there were some unlawful lion cults or ceremonies that took place. This is hinted at by lion-shaped cult objects and by a lion bone found in northern Israel's apostate high place. So really interesting, you know, this this association with with the lion later into the um, the kingship of Assyria and and how they were tasked to bring order to chaos and bring civilization to chaos is such an interesting concept. And the fact that we see that reflected in the pages of the Bible lets us know that it was um, a a much broader contextual thing that's going on. It's not just uh, Assyria that had this idea. This was in other ancient cultures as well. Uh, So really interesting that it pops up here, you know, at the the relative beginning of the the kings of Israel. Uh, And and like I said in the segment, unfortunately, we don't know if the kings of Israel engaged in lion hunts at all. There's certainly not a a whole ton of evidence for it as it went on, but uh, possibly, possibly we see some of the the outcroppings of that here in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, at least. Yeah, that's really interesting when you begin to understand the meaning of the lion and all of the things that go into that. So that's fascinating. Interesting stuff, right? All right, well, today we read 1 Chronicles 10 to 13, which, of course, is all about the end of Saul's reign and the beginning of David's. Now, what really struck me about this account is the many Benjamites that joined David. And that's really significant because King Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin but a lot of them chose to side with David here. So let's take a good look at the origin and history of this tribe of amazing warriors. Though the birthing Rachel in her dying breath named her newborn son Benoni, meaning son of my sorrow, his father Jacob renamed him Benjamin, meaning son of my right hand. He was the youngest of Jacob's 12 sons and like his brothers, became the father of the Israelite tribe bearing his name. In fact, it would be several years later when his father Jacob, now on his deathbed, proclaimed upon his sons the customary blessing. Though this was much more than the typical patriarchal blessing, it was a prophecy that would develop over the course of the history of the 12 tribes. Benjamin is no exception. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 27, Jacob declares, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. The emphasis on Benjamin is his warlike character, and the tribe of Benjamin fulfilled Jacob's prophecy by becoming extremely skilled warriors. In fact, says one historian, they were skilled archers and slingers, said to be able to shoot at a hare and never miss. They also trained their warriors to be ambidextrous in combat, and in fact, biblical accounts have a few stories of Benjamite warriors catching an opponent off guard by fighting with their left hands. The Benjamite warriors were indeed as fierce as ravenous wolves, and adopted that animal as the symbol of their tribe. The tribe of Benjamin did in fact produce some rather famous warriors, such as the judge Ehud, a left-handed man, as well as the very first king of the Jews, Saul, and his son Jonathan, who was a courageous military commander. Both Mordecai and Esther were Benjamites, as well as Paul the Apostle. Unfortunately, just as Jacob predicted, the Benjamites could also be ruthless, vicious, and cruel, as can be seen in the closing chapters of the Book of Judges. After Benjamites in the town of Gibeah rape a Levite's concubine, the tribe is nearly wiped out by the 11 other tribes. 
Hence, King Saul's later statement that the tribe of Benjamin was smallest of the tribes was quite true. Nevertheless, a close alliance was formed between this tribe and that of Judah in the time of David, which continued after his death. After the exile, these two tribes formed the great body of the Jewish nation. And Benjamin's strong relationship with his brothers, Joseph and Judah, was also maintained by their tribes. So there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that David would have been proud to have these Benjamites as a part of his mighty men. They were a force to be reckoned with, that's for sure. And as you can see, Jacob's prophecy in Genesis 49 was fulfilled right to the letter. Benjamin certainly was a ravenous wolf. So Benjamin was the tribe also of Saul, and Judah is the tribe of David. Benjamin also was the tribe that was punished because in the judges, because they, they, there was bad things that happened and, and the uh, prostitute was cut up and sent out and all of that. So this is a fascinating understanding of how this works. Now, the other thing to remember is that Benjamin and Judah are together uh, when the nations are, mm -hmm. you know, when separated. When the nations split. Yeah. yeah, And that's right. so I find this fascinating. Not to mention the fact that David is also part Moabite because Ruth was a Moabite. Mm -hmm. So it's it just gets really interesting here. Uh, okay, Jan. Yes, talking about the Word of God. We're looking at, in First Chronicles chapter 10, the tragic end of Saul and his sons. The enemy was coming. Saul had been wounded. And we hear the battle became fierce against Saul. I'm starting to read in verse 3. The archers hit him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it lest these uncircumcised men come and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. And I'm going to stop there. Saul thought he had nowhere else to turn. The enemy had wounded him, it was coming, and he was going to bring about his own end. It's tragic. It's tragic. You may be feeling today in your life that you've gone too far, you've done too much, and there's no way out. And I want to tell you that there is. Romans 10 verses 9 to 11 say, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It goes on to say, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth... Confession is made unto salvation, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Saul chose a different ending. You don't have to. It says, I'm going to back up a little bit, but his armor bearer would not. Saul wanted his armor bearer to end his life. But the armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell on it. It's tragic. And then we know the rest of the story. Rod has talked, uh, you know, taught on it today. I read the scripture earlier. When I looked at that line today, something struck me so differently. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell on it. You know, we know that the word of God, the Bible, is representative of the sword of the spirit. We can read about that. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, in the whole armor of God, 
it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. Jesus Christ. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Did you hear that? And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Saul chose to take a sword and fall on it and end his own life. God extends his salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And his sword, which brings life, the word of God. Isn't it an interesting thing to parallel? We see a tragic end to the life of Saul, who chose to take his own life, seeing the enemy come, seeing in his own mind that there was no other way out. And oftentimes, you know, we get caught in that same trap, don't we? We feel sometimes that there's no way out. I want to tell you, there is a way out. God has made a way to atone you for your sins, for the things that you and I do wrong. He can make right. Jesus has made right. And if you commit your life to follow him, and I'll read it again, here's what you need to do to become saved, to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 through 11. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. It's called BD Family and Friends, and it's on the Roku box. It's our application with our channel on it, and all the programs are on it there. And so I would encourage you to get a hold of that and look for BD Family and Friends. That's important. And you can watch us and be there. Now let's pray today and say, Lord, I need your strength in my life. I need your strength to renew my life. Help me, Lord. I come to you, and I thank you, Lord, for being strong today in Jesus' name. Amen.